Why hello, happy Friday. It's Chappie the British Butler. It's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode number 69. How are you doing? It hasn't been the uh, the greatest of weeks this week. I've found myself digging digging my way out of a whole load of snow. Um, and I, as you'll hear later, I don't have the best shoveling technique. And my query is, does poor shoveling technique lead to other areas that need work on? I, I think it may do. I think if you're not using the shovel correctly or the wrong shovel, I mean, I've got an antique 1850 uh, type of shovel, um, and uh, it really doesn't do the job when it's uh, nearly two foot of snow, I have to say. But here I am. I'm okay. I'm uh, I'm I'm in my uh, in my Butler sound booth here, uh, recording another edition of uh, the rather whimsical, some say delightful, some say slightly irritating. Keep calm, my cauliflower cheese, and it is marvelous to be here. So, first up, uh, a message. Um, so in the week, I I burnt myself rather badly. Uh, you say, chappy, how did you burn yourself badly? Well. The iron wasn't too hot in this case, but I burnt myself badly and I made a terrible mistake. I hurt and burnt somebody badly as well. So I burnt myself and I burnt this other person as well. And they're saying, well, you know, use less steam, chappy. Well, that's the whole trouble. I think I have too much steam sometimes, too much passion, too much steam. And uh, it emanates a little bit too quickly. And I need to turn that nozzle down slightly. And I apologize. And I love you, doll. Okay. So back to keep calm and cauliflower cheese with a much improved Chappie the Butler. Well, or trying to. I mean, we all we all sort of make errors and mistakes, and it's uh, all about how you deal with them and how you become a better person because of it. Um, and I think that's uh, sometimes we need uh, to be put in our place, and we need to be given a chance as well. So anyway the podcast today this is why we're here believe it or not i mean it's not me rabbiting on about uh, you know about not starching collars and uh, washing white and pinks together i mean sometimes it is the case here so we've got harry styles had big boa action um so could i get away with wearing possibly three boas you know could i get away with maybe a green one a pink one possibly turquoise would that work for a butler or is it just Harry Styles? I think you need the body. But if it's a big enough bar, I could cover up, you know, all indiscretions down there and, you know, the uh, the uh, six-pack, the beer six-pack rather than the uh, the fitness, uh, well-chiseled six-pack. Also, um, is it St. Paddy's Day or St. Patty's Day? Depends if you're in America or uh, across, uh, across the pond. It makes a big difference and it sort of irritates me when they get it wrong. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Uh, we're also going to see what's in the butler's trolley today. So whilst I'm recording this podcast, I'm actually getting some... Somebody's out there shopping some food for me, for Chappie Towers. So what's in my trolley? What won't be in my trolley at the end? Because there's a lot of things that aren't in the supermarket. So we're going to have live action, either during this podcast or on tomorrow. We will uh, replay what was in the butler's trolley. And, uh, and it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, is there yeast out there? Is there flour out there still? Is there starch? Is there borax detergent? Not borat, borax, the old-fashioned, you know. Boil wash and all, hang it on the clothes horse. 
we get the mangle out and uh, get all the stains out. I mean, that's the whole thing. Washing machines don't agitate enough. I mean, I agitate a lot of big bobbers, as you've heard already, but um, they don't agitate enough. You know, a good old mangle, would, you get the clothes and the wooden, uh, wooden paddle there. Oh, don't take me back to wooden paddles, darling. Oh, my gosh. I, my bottom still stings from boarding still for that. But no, but you get the paddle and the, and the mangle and you, and you wash the clothes and rigorously much agitation. Um, so, um, is it time to, is it time for new underwear? I mean, if you, if you're in a relationship, um, you know, you, you're probably not, not in your top underwear game. Um, but, uh, you know, to keep the spark alive, I think one needs new underwear. And it's especially for you chaps and chapesses out there who are, who are starting dating, you need to improve your underwear game. New underwear is key. Or, or, you know, we're going to be talking about that later anyway. Um, and also what my daughter said about uh, me not uh, setting up a leprechaun trap on St. Patrick's Day. Now, uh, will you wear an orange ski suit? Somebody in my neighborhood did the other day. What do I think of it? Uh, also, as I said, shoveling techniques. There's much more. There's a whole different... Uh, there's a whole different kettle of fish to be talked about here in terms of shoveling techniques and how it uh, how it leads into your life. We are going to um, talk about the mat that lets your dog text you as well. High-end dog perfume. British Airways rolls up vaccine passports to get us flying again and free snacks. Red phone boxes find a new calling. The recipe book that uh, the Fed Royalist propaganda sent to England. So long, suckers. The octopus has secret skills to stay hidden. And we also have a, uh, a historical Tinder. We have an enigmatic English eccentric habit. And uh, we, uh, we have some Trump or trombone. Now, you know, some people are, no, some people are saying to me, you know, Chappie, you say all these things at the beginning of the show, and then you just never talk about them. And I find that incredibly irritating. I mean, I've heard this before. No, some people like the free-for-all, you know, that, we, that you get on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Well, you just don't know if the stories. The story will probably come up at some point in the uh, in the near future. There's no need to worry about that. It, it it will it will turn up. So you know, I'm going to try to hit all you know all of my uh, all of my topics today. And if I hit all of my topics, you know, will be will be something like this, here. Um, or maybe this. But it's more likely going to be something like this. Or. That's uh, that. That should be the sound effect for the whole show, the raspy, uh, the raspy sort of farty trumpet here. So I, I mean, another thing that p- people say um, to me is, "Chappy, y- y- you have too many, you know, have too many fart sound effects." Um, you know, and 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 you know, I, I I highly agree. I have too many fart sound effects, but you know what? I do like a good fart sound effect, and just for that person. I'm going to give you 20 seconds of farting. All right, that's enough. I... That was very naughty of me. I apologize to everybody out there. Very juvenile, very childish. And uh, I will, in the future, limit all fart sound effects. Promise. 
Okay, so it's a little bit sad, but uh, somebody who I used to work with said that I looked like Piers Morgan. The uh, rather opinionated uh, UK columnist, TV presenter, used to be on CNN. I don't think I look like Piers Morgan. I don't think I'm as much of an asshole as that. Um, you know, Piers has his Piers has his qualities, um, but uh, being subtle and putting his foot in his mouth, uh, well, being subtle isn't one of them. Putting his foot in the mouth definitely is. Uh, but anyway, so Piers Morgan is attractive to almost half of women, but only when they're drunk. Piers Morgan is attractive to almost half women, half of the women, but only when he's drunk. The former Good Morning Britain host is so irresistible he tops the list of UK's most popular beer goggle pinups. I think I, I think I have aspirations to be a beer goggle pinup. The 55-year-old firebrand presenter scored 39% of the vote in a new survey, but most women are only drawn to him when they've had a few. The beer goggle phenomenon is when the booze makes people more sexually desirable than they usually are. Piers is followed by Top Gear host Jeremy Clarkson, uh, 26%, David Walliam, 17%, Simon Cowell was in fourth place at 12%, but Boris Johnson only got 6% of the vote. Oh, dearie me. One of the, one of the top UK's beer goggle pinups research found that half women and two-thirds of men have had beer goggle sex. It's also uh, revealed three-quarters of women, uh, uh, even more men, admit that booze had made somebody they previously fancied seem more attractive. Uh, sex and relationship expert Jessica Leone said it's a good thing and dating would be so much duller without alcohol. Uh, she also said wearing beer goggles can make even Piers Morgan attractive, almost half of women. And she continued, Lots of us are all getting to, uh, ready to properly date again as lockdown ends. And many people are going to be a bit rusty after a year. You know, that's why you have to oil the pipes, ladies and gentlemen. What better way to get into the mood and put your day to ease by having a few drinks and getting to know each other? It shows up the real person more quickly and helps daters to decide early on what they want and to go to second base or a new partner. I mean, the thing is, why don't you just not drink anything at all? And then you know for sure if you like them, you don't wake up and, you know, you're laying next to, you know, Peppa Pig or Daddy Pig or, uh, or you know, or maybe even a Sasquatch. I mean, th th these are problems that can happen. And uh, aren't, aren't very appealing in the, ne the, the next day. You know, you do not want to wake up and, and think you're in a piggery. You know, next to Mama Swine or, uh, or, uh, or, or or wild boar of some sort. I mean, there's a lot of wild boars out there, and that's what probably people say when they think of this podcast. Chappy, you're just a wild boar. So Harry Styles knows the Grammys are a three boa kind of night. The boundlessly bold singer delivered a tree of impressive outfits which uh, brought home a win for Watermelon Sugar. Uh, so uh, Harry Styles, as he prepped for his appearance and performance at the Grammys, uh, graced us with not one, not two, but three different separate outfits topped off with big opulent boas. The starter jacket that looks like Nana's favourite got freaked up with the design minds at Gucci, paired with a deep v-neck sweater vest, uh, flared with velvet trousers and a fluffy purple boa, snaking all the way down to his knees. This is what uh, one might call coming out of the gate strong. Uh, next was the, the sweet prince stitch things up for the stage. Gone was the extra cool granny vibe, replaced with one that was, well, just cool, a shirtless leather suit with a green boa uh, and a Stevens Tyler boa type scarf. To wrap up the evening after winning best pop performance, Watermelon Sugar. Did he go watermelon though? Did he? Did he go watermelon? Harry changed to a more muted getup, a tan double-breasted jacket, buttons undone naturally with a black boa, his formal boa, if you will. So, yeah, it was a bit like a 
it was like a black tie type of bow going on there for the last one anyway so my question is could i get away you know once lockdown i'm not going to parade around in a boa you know in my altogether in, in, in my house here on my own i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't give my dogs uh, uh you know that it, it could turn that turn their stomachs but when once lockdown uh, finishes and we get out to some sort of normal again going out again i'm wondering if i should start wearing the boa you know maybe i could start the boa you know as a little a bit of a garish pink to begin the evening and then when i go to the bathroom you know i have another boa tucked away and then reveal it. i mean i could keep it down i could pull it up my right trouser leg couldn't i i could have a maybe a turquoise boa down my right trouser leg and maybe a, a, a no a very red scarlet i could be like miss scarlet down the left so every time I go to the bathroom, I replace one boa by pulling the, the snake-like boa up the trouser leg, and then I uh, and then I put it on. You know, the thing is though, the shirtless leather suit style. I don't think that would that would uh, be my style. I mean, it, I would need a lot of feathers to cover cover Chappie's torso. And the thing is, I don't know. Am I allergic to feathers? I mean, do they do a good sort of vegan boa? You know, for the one one that's not the featherless but still the same effect. But I'd need some broad feathers. I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, partridge wouldn't cut it for me in terms of a partridge feather bow would not cut it for me. It would have to be probably a wild turkey. One of those big ones, maybe the ones that they in inject with uh, extra saline to make the breast bigger. That's the, probably the, uh, the, the type of feather that I would need. A very broad f uh, boa covering up all moobage, covering up any, uh, any other, anything else that uh, I don't really want to show off to my, uh, to my audience on an evening out. But there we go. I mean, I, first I guess I have to be, see if I'm not allergic to feathers and then decide if I'm going vegan or the real McCoy feather. And then what colours? But I think I've got a brilliant way of hiding the other feathers, boas, down each trouser leg. When I go to the bathroom, I can reveal another boa to the audience when I come out. So this pie shop will be Britain's only one table restaurant. So in the UK, if you're counting down the days until you go out to dinner again, you may want to add this place to your list. Pie Caramba in Winchester is exclusive, so much that it only has one table. Rob Litchfield is the co-owner and says he's snowed under with bookings for the one only seat. He started accepting reservations yesterday. It's not a massive table either, seating just two people. It's already fully booked for the entire week of April the 12th, the date when restaurants and pubs are allowed to serve customers outside again. The reason only one table is because it's located on a busy road in Winchester's city centre, so they can fit only one table outside the restaurant. As the name might suggest, Pie Caramba serves 20 different pies, and these are the meat pies. We have space around outside uh, shop door for one table. We had a play around with it, so we're not blocking access for causing any trouble. It's a bit of a novelty. We started accepting bookings yesterday morning and are now fully booked for the first week. Everybody's desperate to get out and about. We'd like to have more tables where we are physically can't fit any more outside. Don't worry though, they don't expect you to inhale your food then run. Each customer will be given around an hour at the table before they have to leave. According to the news, in 2017, Pie Caramba was dubbed a bloody good pie shop by Jay Rayner, the food critic in The Observer. Under the government's lockdown roadmap, hospitality venues will be allowed to resume service on April the 12th. You know what? I mean, they, they, I, I've got an idea for these guys, for Pie Caramba. I think, okay, keep the one table, but why can you set up shop on a, on, a, uh, on a roundabout? So cars are going around, you put your order in before you go on the roundabout, 
and uh, and then you collect your pie as you're going round the roundabout. I mean, you know what? I would love a steak and ale pie on the way round a round a roundabout. It would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, it might cause trouble because if you miss your pie collection, you might go round the round the roundabout the wrong way. Except as what I've done in the past, and uh, and that could be all cause all sorts of uh, uh, of shenanigans without a doubt. I mean, and I think you, uh, I mean, you could have the two lanes going in there. Um, it, it, you know, it needs a bit of thinking about, but uh, I think the uh, the uh, roundabout at Pi Caramba could be the deal breaker for them to bring a little bit more business. You know, if they want a pie and they can't get on the table until maybe 2023, then pick it up on your way away from the shop round the roundabout. So. This mat lets your dog text you when it needs to go out. Should be dogs be texting? That's a separate question. But the barking mat that's gone on sale um, is, uh, I think they're giving off savings of 12% at the moment. If you regularly take your dog out through the same exit, he's probably conditioned uh, to head there when he needs to go and do his business. But that's where the barking mat comes in. Place your barking mat by the door. As soon as your dog steps on it, you'll receive a notification. It's like the dog is texting you from the other room letting you know that when he uh, needs to take care of his business. If you live in a smaller house or apartment and prefer an audible tone rather than text, you can choose from a barking sound or chime, then adjust the volume to your preference. If you still don't make it to the door in time, even with the notification, the barking mat doubles as a pee pad holder, just in case. Plus, it wipes clean with a damp towel. So while the new puppy owners have found uh, tremendous relief, and I think the dogs have too, with a barking mat, uh, with many saying it immediately helped their house uh, training of the dog. It can also be a lifesaver for owners of older dogs. Whether your senior pet has a weak bladder or weak patients, the barking mat can help them get outside on your terms. So m- my question is, though, I mean, will you get into, like, would it be like dog sexting? Like, you have a dog that's in heat, like dear Maggie was a few weeks ago, and she's looking for a partner. Is it possible to sext other dogs? I mean, this could be a problem, because you could have... You know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry coming over, you know, r- waiting to to uh, to please the dog that's in heat, just through sexting. I mean, dog sexting could have very, very dangerous consequences. I think, you know, in terms of the uh, puppy population of the world. Okay, so we have another little session of historical Tinder. So we take somebody out of history, and uh, we we convert it to a game of Tinder. So it's a swipe right or swipe what left. I mean, there's some real rogues in here who either uh, met a fate worse than death when they did die, um, or they, uh, or they, uh, you know, were, had uh, uh, some interest in, uh, you know, maybe lots of uh, lots of harems or extramarital affairs, or had a, you know, a, a, maybe a slight sex addiction as well. So there's lots of these rogues going through history, and the uh, question is to swipe left or right. Sometimes the swipe left is a guillotine or a sword uh, or uh, being cru- the skull being crushed or something along the lines. But uh, these guys probably most of the time do deserve a swipe left. Anyway, so today we have the rather naughty American aviator Charles Lindbergh, who made history with his famous 1927 non-stop flight across the Atlantic. This world first rocketed Lindbergh to instant stardom and earned him the adoration of pretty much the entire planet. Maybe a little too much adoration as it turns out. So widespread affection 
and the uh, ability to fly apparently a recipe for temptation. Lindbergh had a mistress in far-flung locations all the world over. It's not a, a girl in every port, it was uh, maybe a, a girl in every porthole, so to speak, or, uh, or possibly uh, airport. Uh, when not with his wife Anne, he would spend his time with his secretary Valeska or one of his two sisters in Munich, Germany. These affairs uh, lasted long enough for him to father children and then kept right on going. Lindbergh kept a total of uh, three families that knew nothing about the others. He would visit his uh, illegitimate families a few times a year, stay a few days, show them around uh, and show them a good time and literally take off again. His children only ever knew him by a fake name. So I think in Lindbergh's case, there was, uh, there was no axe swinging to the left. He deserves a swipe left because there's a little bit too much of this going on. Okay, so big debate. Um, is it St. Paddy's Day or St. Patty's Day? St. Patrick's Day was originally a feast day for the patron saint who brought Christianity to Ireland and evolved into a secular celebration of Irish heritage. As, as its reach has widened, many are familiar with the nickname St. Paddy's Day, where Paddy is a shortened vert form of Patrick, which itself comes from Padre. While the holiday is sometimes spelled as St. Paddy's Day, some find this to be offensive as Patty is a shortened form of the female name Patricia's rather than St. Patrick's. So Patty is used as used in St. Patrick, uh, Patrick's Day in the, in the US developed either as a playful diminutive based on a masculine nickname Pat or as a misapprehension uh, of the D in Paddy. Whatever the case, the name Patty is uh, generally understood to be the feminine form of Patricia and thus considered by many to be disrespectful on St. Patrick's Day. Some people also find St. Paddy's Day inappropriate because since the 18th century, Paddy has been used in English as a disparaging name for an Irishman uh, or in informal British English as a fit of temper. So there we go. You've got two. Neither of them are particularly good. One, one, is a, one is a derogatory term used by the English for the Irish and the other is a shortened version of uh, Patricia when it's actually uh, St. Patrick. Oh dear, I, I think uh, I think there's going to be some uh, lots of metaphorical arm wrestles uh, over the uh, over the pub tables in the future on this one. So British Airways is rolling out vaccine passports and free snacks to get us flying again. <clears throat> so British Airways will launch a digital global vaccine passport in time for the planned resumption of international travel on May the 17th. Passengers who have had two COVID jabs will be able to upload their vaccination details to a BA app on their smartphones to prove they flight to, they're safe to fly. So um, they're also uh, reintroducing... Um, refreshments which that actually stopped doing short haul uh, on economy uh, travel in 2017 but during the pandemic brought back a free bottle of water crisps and a sweet snack um, and then customer surveys say the resumption is very popular i mean the thing is airplane food is so bad i mean a bag of peanuts isn't going to get me to fly again i mean i do want i want to travel and, and get out there again anyway um, but uh, crisps and uh, uh, chips and a bag of peanuts isn't going to make any difference. But you know what? And for many for many years, you know, you could get a free meal, or free meals on, uh, you know, when, when you travel. I have no problems paying for my meals when I travel because I want a better quality of meal. Now, if they're going to provide me with spam or uh, or uh, old fish that I got on one uh, trip that I took back to the UK when I had to stop uh, in Newfoundland uh, because there was a storm then then uh, you know I don't want old fish in a sauce 
that sits on my stomach for three hours and when you're stuck in, in between two other people, you know, that's not a pleasant experience, without a doubt. Especially when the other two are asleep and your stomach's guggling and rumbling for the entire trip. But if you're paying for better quality of food and more choice, then that's, uh, that's certainly something I would be up for. But as soon as I uh, get the vaccine, I am going to uh, register, get this vaccine passport so uh, one can travel again. And the exciting thing, folks, it's coming very soon. I mean, I, I think if my mum or my sister are listening at the moment, they should probably tune out for the next 30 seconds here, or maybe a minute or two. Um, I mean, they're probably my only listeners, so it doesn't matter. So I go from like two listeners to maybe zero uh, when I say something like that. But anyway, so I started drinking ginger ale again, the non-sugar version, which I don't know if it's quite as good as the sugary version, but still pretty good. You know, ginger ale and maybe ginger itself puts a pep in my step. I mean, it, it gets me going. I tell you something. I mean, after a swig of the ginger ale, I'm a... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's lucky it's lucky one isn't single in that situation. Let me put it that way. Um, but the ginger ale is, uh, I, I think I'm going to cut it out. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, when I'm, uh, if I'm sipping it on the microphone here, uh, you know, whilst doing the podcast, who knows what could happen? But I, I think it, uh, it reaches the drinks that other parts cannot reach. Let me put it that way. It truly is a, an elixir. Uh, you know, a lust elixir, one could say. Um, but I started drinking again, so it's pretty good. Pretty good. So I, I recommend the ginger ale uh, for, for all of you out there who want a, a very happy Friday evening. Um, so next on the uh, next on the oki here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, when it comes to wine, drinkers are impressed with the scent of money. So how do you improve a bottle of cheap plonk? Simple, tell your guests it's a bottle of expensive Blanc. People's judgment of a glass of wine is improved significantly if they are told it is four times more expensive than it really is, a study has found. We may pretend that uh, down to the musky tannins or the delicate straw aromas, the research adds to a growing evidence that in fact our appreciation of wine is influenced as much by our perception of its value as its actual taste. Jean Garb from Basel University in Switzerland conducted the research. In his main job, he's a placebo researcher. I'm instructed and interested in uh, context effects, he says. If you reframe something, what happens? Few contexts could be more variable than those humans put on wine, a product that, chosen wisely, denotes taste, sophistication, class, and when chosen unwisely, denotes a cheap student lash-up. His study, uh, published in the food journal Quality and Preference, offering almost 150 people three different wines and asking them to rate them. All were 2013 Italian reds, but this is where the similarity ended. One cost £50 a bottle and had been highly rated by connoisseurs. One was £25 a bottle and also performed well during taste tests. The third was an £8 bottle and had never troubled a master of wine refined palate. Uh, before drinking, some of the tasters, none of whom were experts, were told the true price. Some were told a fake price and some were not given a price. In the blind tasting, there was no relationship between price and how pleasant they rated the drink. All wines were judged equally good. This fits with past research showing that for most people in blind tastings, the subjective experience of wine is completely unrelated to its true price. For those led to believe that an eight pound bottle of plonk was actually a fine 25 pound vintage while the 50 pound 
Vittorio La Pupel was a pretty ordinary eight pounds. However, the scores were very different. Suddenly, the basic Van de Table took a significantly more refined qualities in their mouths, and they judged the clear best of the three performing 20% better in the taste test. What are we to make of it? One interpretation, Gub said that to, be, uh, to be wary of being manipulated. Wine companies are clever. They know this. They know that if they make wine more expensive, it tastes better. And they aim for, what, for, aim for that because that's a huge market. However, is it bad being manipulated? As a placebo researcher, Garb is aware that the effect is real and valuable. It's the beauty of human mind that can make things very, very different. But there we go. You know, the box plonk, if, uh, if it was priced at £65, it would, uh, it would t- taste like, uh, you know, a 1968 Mouton Rothschild or a Chateau Lafitte or something along those lines. But it's, uh, it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite interesting, you know. It's all in the mind and not in the palate. So both my daughters do love um, to try to catch leprechauns on St. Patrick's Day. And, um, you know, they've been successful uh, on some occasions, I believe. Um, but the, I think the uh, mystery leprechaun does go missing, but often does leave uh, some gold coins in its wake. But my uh, my daughter asked me the other day if I'd set up a um, a leprechaun trap, and um, I said no, I didn't even know about this. I mean, how do I set up a trap here? And she said, well, you haven't set up a trap. You're going to be pinched and you're going to be bitten by a leprechaun for not wearing green. I mean, I don't have any green really. I don't. It's not in not in the butler's wardrobe. Green generally. Um, and she's going to say they're going to put lucky charms down my toilet. Uh, this is this is what my daughter told me. You know, and I do fear, but I've been doing a little bit of research on it, and it, and it does say that you'll never catch me in your trap. But yes, I'll make a scene. I'll turn the whole place upside down, and your toilet will be green. I mean, I don't even think the best toilet duck could uh, could uh, clear up a green toilet, probably. Okay, so we have Trump or trombone again, but because I've had so many complaints about the fart sound effects, I'm going to replace the fart sound effects this week just to make some people very happy. And, 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 you know, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to compromise and make an effort and, uh, and do my best here and improve this podcast and improve myself as a butler by, uh, by indeed removing the obnoxious fart sound effects. Anyway, so Google Map users bemused to see legs appearing to sprout from a tower. Fans of the site uh, across the strange image on the tiny island of Pantarelia, uh, the... Uh, picture shows a pair of legs with shoes that appear to be cut off at the knees. An eagle-eyed fan came across a bizarre illusion in Pantarelia, a tiny Italian island between Sicily and Tunisia. In the image that uh, is shot on the national park on the island of Laghetto uh, dell'Andine, uh, viewers can see what looks like the ruins of a tower before a pair of legs and shoes appear in the foreground. The limbs are not attached to a body and they are cut off at the knee. I mean, whoever took the picture was definitely wide-eyed and legless, and in this case, the old adage does not ring true. Two legs are not better than none. And a leader in the search for alien intelligence claims life may be widespread on Mars, but it's hiding underground. 
Nathalie Cabral is the director of the Carl Sagan Center of Research as part of the SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute. In a new paper published in the journal Nature Astronomy, she challenges common assumptions about the red planet by arguing that a microbial biosphere, a life-supporting region, may be thriving out there. However, over the last four billion years, she theorizes that these life forms may have moved underground. Professor Cabral has studied Mars analogues, which are cold, dry, inhospitable places on Earth that mimic the conditions of Mars as closely as possible, in the, uh, such as the Antarctic. And she surmises that life forms may have uh, retreated underground. I mean, but who knows? There goes a Martian Le- Loch Ness monster ridden by a Martian Sasquatch. And cheeky prisoner uh, leaves TripAdvisor review after release and gives the jail five stars. Police f- uh, found the funny side after a bloke who had been banged up for criminal damage left a TripAdvisor star review of the cells. The unnamed suspect left his hilarious handwritten note at the custody suite in Perry Bar, Birmingham, and rated the facility three stars. The 24-year-old was full of praise for the modern clean building and noted with approval how he'd been dealt with uh, uh, promptly by a custody officer. Um, but, uh, but, uh, however, he expressed disappointment over the closure of his local station, Sutton Cofield, uh, but admitted it was time to try something new. Uh, West Midlands shared an image of the hilarious note on March the 17th, um, as a trailer for their plans to tweet every arrest from the station on this coming Friday. And it's going to be called hashtag 24 hours in custody. Another recently bought chocolates in to say thanks for the way he was treated. Uh, one of the most bizarre incidents, staff found a detainee with a samosa in his pants. I mean, if that was a spicy samosa, that could all cause all sorts of awful uh, allergic reactions and, uh, you know, possibly a, a ring of fire. Who knows? Um, but this, this is how I think the, the, the TripAdvisor review wrote. The bed felt like nails, the food inedible, and don't get me started on the showers. Never bend up to pick up the soap. Ow! So the recipe book that fed royalist propaganda to England. In the years following the restoration, royal propagandists decided that they needed a new book to protect the monarchy, a cookbook. Now more than 350 years later, uh, after it was first published, a book claiming to list the favourite recipes of Oliver Cromwell and his wife uh, Elizabeth savaging their enjoyment of eel pies and eggs and soldiers has been reissued. The cookbook called The Court of Kitchen of Elizabeth, commonly called uh, Joan Cromwell, the wife of the late usurper, dates from 1664. Four years after the restoration and and, uh, purports to contain dozens of original recipes collected by Elizabeth for the Lord Protector who died in 1658. And uh, Stuart Orme, the creator of the Cromwell Museum in Huntington, said it's probably the strangest cookery book ever written. While the book opens with essays decrying the defunct Cromwellian regime and lapooning Oliver and Vol- uh, Elizabeth's vulgar diet, it said the recipes were nevertheless plausible. Uh, published while there was still a risk that the monarchy could be toppled again, the book depicts Oliver, who spent years as a tenant farmer in Cambridgeshire before his ascent to power, as something of a coarse rustic, dominated by a skinflint wife. He said that the name Joan in the book title was associated at the time with the common, common prostitutes and was intended to... Uh, impunge uh, Elizabeth's virtue. The anonymous author also rallied uh, at Elizabeth's sordid frugality and thrifty baseness and declared her to be a hundred times fitter for a barn than a palace. 
While Oliver, when Oliver died, Elizabeth was still living in relative obscurity at the time of the book's publication. The recipes include Fenland ingredients like eels, thus adding to the rather snobbish implication that Cromwells were far too ordinary uh, and unsuited to rule. The book contends that for supper, egg sauce and slaps uh, contented Cromwell and her ladyship. Orm also said the slaps referred to small pieces of toasted bread. Think of the 17th century equivalent of soldiers. Uh, a piece of toast cut into little uh, rectangles. Even so, many of the book's recipes are to modernise complex, including duck stewed in a French fashion, with ingredients including pepper, nutmeg, anchovies, claret and lemons. Orm said there is indications that at least some of the dishes really were prepared for the Cromwells. Beside the inclusion of the Fenland ingredients, the book features dishes that would have been suitable for sufferers of kidney stones, which Oliver had that condition. And other recipes include green sauce for meat that is akin to the contemporary sorrel pesto, even a Turkish dish of peppered beef and rice. Referencing a favourite royalist claim that Cromwell had once operated a commercial brewery for a recipe of a whole baked pig is said to have been experiment practiced by her at Huntington Brewhouse. The book also claims that in order to give the appearance of having something of the prince in him, Oliver had, as Lord Protector, tolerated a huge clattering of dishes and noises of servitors and rank and file marching to his table around noon. Nevertheless, uh, the author remarked acidly that at his private table very rarely or never were our French um, French recipes suffered by him uh, or any such nouveau cuisine or gustos. Orm said most of the book's recipes included method but were not full of ingredients list or cooking time and they can't easily be followed. But he tried several uh, uh, praised a dish of beef and claret and some of the desserts which included arban tart and citron pudding was very pleasant. So this was a Cromwell diet, a green sauce for meat. Take a handful or greater quantity of sorrel, beat it into a mortar with pippins, apples, pared and quartered, add thereto a little vinegar and sugar and put it in the sauces. Otherwise take sorrel, beat it and stamp it well into the mortar, screws, which is squeeze in modern language, out the juice, and thereto a little vinegar, sugar and two hard-boiled eggs, minced small, a little butter and grated nutmeg. Set this upon the coals till hot and pour it into the dish on the sippets, which is fried bread. This is the sauce for hen, veal or indeed bacon. So it's been lovely having you here today for Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese episode number 70. Uh, thanks for all of you listening or hearing the snippets on Audio Burst as well. I'm featured for the whole month on Audio Burst. Very kind of the peeps over there to do that. Uh, as I said before, I mean, I think they sp- spun, you know, had a game of Russian roulette. And um, the person who chose my podcast probably came out rather worse for wear. Uh, but I'm on audio burst this week. So that's uh, that's lovely. Um, so at Keep Cheese on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Lots of my nonsense pictures and snowy pictures and the pictures of the hounds and some uh, pretty awful pictures of me are on there. Um, so follow, like and subscribe on uh, all of the platforms. And, uh, and it was a real pleasure having your company today. And I'll be back again tomorrow. For the, uh, for the sort of weekend edition of the podcast for Saturday, uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So for now, I'm going to finish with a pretty pertinent poem for my feelings this week. Um, and uh, it's entitled, Forgiveness is Divine. Some people view forgiveness as a virtue for the weak, an act of mercy undeserved that serves no useful need. They stand firmly in their judgment and won't consider a mistake. They prefer to hold a senseless grudge that amends and accept amends when made. They feel like they have some godly right to reject and criticize. They're possessed by righteous anger and consumed by pointless pride. They're focused on how they've been wronged and won't be made the fool again. 
so they must feel that they must avenge themselves by refusing to give in. They will sacrifice their family or forsake a long-time friend, do anything they have to do to be the winner in the end. Or perhaps it's that they can't resolve the depth of all their hurt caused by someone that they trusted, left them questioning their worth. But no matter why the struggle out of pride or fear, not being able to forgive can cause the loss of one's most dear. Yes, forgiveness is a virtue, they even say it's divine, but more that it sets you free from the ways you down inside. The best way to approach this life is to ask forgiveness and to forgive. There's a balance to this crazy word, so live and just let live and love. All right, toodaloo for now, all you folks out there. Cheerio, chappy out, back tomorrow.